back to Clinically Impressed Season 1, Episode 8. I don't even know if we're going to go to Season 2. We're just going to keep going <laughs> episodes. Oh, my God. I, was, I guess I never thought about that before. What's a season in a pod? Uh, well, I guess it's just one continuous season. I guess we could just see how many episodes we could just come up with in season one before we decide, you know what, it's time to Take season two Take a moment off. That's funny. I, <laughs> you saying that right now is the first time I've ever even considered it. <laughs> Welcome to season one, episode 42. Yes. Oh, my god. We talk about 42 things we don't like about our jobs. Oh. <laughs> just that's kidding. Just trend, kidding. That's so, a trending topic that that's day. That's a trending topic. Yeah. Well, well speaking of a trending topic. Topic. Um, uh-huh. I don't have a crazy thing that I found besides obviously Taylor Swift is all over my for you page on TikTok because mm. she's in love. Yes, <laughs> and I'm very happy for her. She just said Karma is a guy on the Chiefs last night, so that's everywhere. Every TikTok. It's literally my whole, which only says anything about me that my entire for you page is Taylor Swift. <laughs> but and me, their cute little kiss at the end yes, that was just magical. That was, that was really cute. <laughs> That was such a – they're so cute because they're in a new relationship. I think people see that and are like, aw, because they remember. Oh, to be young and in love. Somebody um, did a TikTok where they were comparing, like, um, all Taylor's ex-boyfriends at her concerts, and he's the only one that's, like, singing the songs and blowing her kisses and waving at her. Dude, now seriously, the with- like, the fact that they're both – because, you know, now we've seen both sides. Like, she's watching him play and he watches her mm-hmm. sing. Like, they both are celebrator- celebratory and celebrating the other one, which is so sweet. But you're yeah. completely right. I think I have seen something like that. Well, all her boyfriends before, like – no offense. We're kind of douchey. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it seemed like they were using her as like clout. Yeah. Like, oh, oh I'm with Taylor Swift. She's so famous. And then, yeah. you well, know, half of them. I'm like, who are you? Oh, because I thought some of, most of them were famous. <laughs> but either way, I love it. My sister, Maddie, is so loves it. And like she, I I must have been busy yesterday or last night, but she tec- she texted me to say, Look at my message on Instagram. So then I had to <laughs> go to, from our text message to Instagram to see the – and it was the video. And mm. we both are – we'll text each other all the time. We're sending each other those videos. Loving it. Just for the dream. Absolutely love it. I think it's sweet. <laughs> I, I do love it for them. I think it's cute. Okay. Um, so- but otherwise, what else I got going on? Because Thanksgiving, when this episode drops, Thanksgiving will be a few days away. And so mm-hmm. everywhere all over my For You is – food to cook or games to play with fam or how to get out of hanging out with the family i have seen some of those (laughs) or like the you know how to respond when your uncle asks you who you're dating or something Uh, oh yeah um yeah i've I've seen a lot of those i haven't usually in the past i'll see a lot of um a lot more of those like the t-shirt to wear to Thanksgiving and it says, no, grandma, I'm not pregnant or something like that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you know like I mean? the trendings. Yeah. I haven't seen it. it my, mine's a lot less uh, pessimistic than usual, I guess. Maybe your algorithm just reconfigured because my mine's algorithm? all about books. Yeah. <laughs> Is that not how you say Al- it? It's algorithm. Okay. Well, we made a new <laughs> word here on the podcast. I was t- – <laughs> Well, I love. I just like that that happened to you because what was it a couple episodes ago when I said that's suspicious or something? I couldn't. Or, I couldn't even talk. I had like a stroke. Well, <laughs> okay, I guess anyway. it's a rough day. I'm just going to go ahead. It's a rough day ahead. for all of us. <sighs> so, okay. what games did you see? Because there's this game uh, that I'm bringing to the Thanksgiving party. It's called the audio game. 
Um, the audio, that sounds fun. I actually saw a lot. And then I kind of want separately, I want your opinion on this. I saw a lot of games and it was members of the family, a bunch of different age members of the family were playing. There looked like to be youngish kids, like 10 ish. And then like mm-hmm. older adults, but it was a, like a ping pong ball and you hit it and it goes into a cup. And then the cup has a number and it correlates to another cup. And that cup has a prize or whatever, but it was just given beer pong to me when I mm. saw it, I was like, Oh, So separate question totally is what are your thoughts on that? Like get kids playing, kids playing games that really are like drinking games. Obviously they're not drinking, hopefully, but like introducing kids to games like that or even like poker or something like that. Like what are your thoughts? I can't say that I haven't seen it. I've seen kids play beer pong, but with water in their cups Mm -hmm. and like they're just throwing the little ball over there. I mean, if the parents are parenting appropriately and saying, well, this is the only thing that you can have Mm. when you play this game, Mm -hmm. um, but it's mostly an adult game or whatever, I think it could be an inclusive game because you're really just aiming kind of like darts. You're just aiming the ball into the cups on the other side and Mm -hmm. they're working on their hand-eye coordination and throwing (laughs) skills and all that stuff. But um, I think with appropriate supervision. Totally. I'm unsure how I feel, honestly. Um, I didn't play any kind of game like that when I was a kid. So I guess my my question is really like if adults are playing beer pong and a kid is also allowed to play. So it's still the game is beer pong. A child mm-hmm. knows that it's beer pong and that they just can't drink. So it's that's my question, really. Mm-hmm. Is It's the idea of introducing them to like a game that is about drinking. And that, to me, Mm -hmm. seems a little um, somewhat dangerous because drinking is obviously pretty serious. And as adults, I mean, I've played beer pong when I was 21. Shouldn't have been doing it. It was – I didn't take drinking. I was just being like, oh, gosh, I'm just trying to think. There, I mean, I have a lot of members of my family that have significant issues with alcohol. And um, I think sometimes when we introduce, like, it's this silly little game that is directly linked to binge drinking, mm-hmm. what are we saying really? If it's, and especially when we are introducing it to younger kids, uh, is it appropriate? Like, are we, our parents saying it in a way, like introducing it at a younger age? So that way when they turn 21, they're not going out like a crazy person and drinking everything that they can. That you know? was going to so, be my next thought is like yeah. exposure can be meaningful. Like True. if you start exposing yeah kids to to certain aspects mm-hmm. of adult life, it might not be as such of a shock when they get older, like when parents don't have the sex talk with you. Oh, yeah. Yikes. And you're having to deal with that and navigate those waters when you're an adult on your own or whatever age you start becoming sexually active because mm-hmm. your parents never talk to you about it. Yeah. Well, that's true too. What are your thoughts? Totally not the same concept, but what are your thoughts on kids drinking? Uh, non-alcoholic beer and i mean like the real non-alcoholic beer oh like the what is it in the green bottle o'daly o'daly's or something like that i think no that's not o'duels and i think that that is actually i think that has alcohol in it it has like point like it has barely any but there's a little bit you have to get actual Mm. non-alcoholic beer like zero percent because some non-alcoholic beer still has a little bit so you have to actually get like zero percent alcohol um, but so you drink juice, like, <laughs> well, that's the thing, but, it still, but it still looks like a beer. 
And mm-hmm. I think it has, I have never had a non-alcoholic beer because I don't even drink beer because gross. But mm-hmm. I'm just curious because why, hand, I have no one way or the other. It seems weird to me because I only just think like, what's the point more so than anything? I, I, I agree with you. What's the point? <laughs> I know the they point have of like a non-alcoholic non- beer. Non-alcoholic champagne or wine. Oh, I've heard of that shit. Before. You know what? As, I, had that I at, think that's uh, more uh, normal uh, to me is like the, what is that? Sparkling cider? That's yeah, in a yeah. fucking like wine glass or a wine bottle. And but you pour it into have, a, yeah. It says non-alcoholic champagne. And I'm like, well, the only reason I knew that is because I went to a, a work holiday party one time mm-hmm. and they were offering wine, but then they also said, oh, you want non-alcoholic champagne and i was like so just like apple cider and they were like no literally it's like non it says it on the bottle non-alcoholic i gotta say and I'm like, what? Uh, champagne's gross so the idea of drinking so champagne that tastes the same but just doesn't get you drunk <laughs> does not interest yeah. me whatsoever but you know what is delicious sparkling cider <laughs> yeah yeah so like we're giving kids sparkling cider out of a similar bottle it's the exact same bottle and just now i've had the epiphany of that's so no different than a non-alcoholic beer and now i reserve all judgment i take it all back <laughs> because i that's totally true like for new year's eve i remember my mm-hmm. parents buying it and it was special Cheers. and you got it in the little glass and you were like mm-hmm. fancy like an adult but exposing it was exposed. you to oh, I was champagne. Very, oh, please. I was very exposed to alcohol <laughs> much before that. Um, oh, I take it all back. All judgment mm-hmm. about non-alcoholic beer out the window. Oh, my God. I mean, yeah. I don't get it. Just give them a juice. But I think it's like the act. Like, we're all drinking a beer. And mm-hmm. some of you are not. But, I mean, the atmosphere, the socializing. Yeah, it, and it's true. Did you ever <laughs> – this is gonna, I don't know what this is going to say about me. But did you ever like uh, pour a little bit of your – if you had like a soda bottle, pour a little bit of soda in the lid and then like knock it back yes, like it was a shot? Absolutely. What the fuck was that about? Why did we I do don't that? Know. You know what else I did? You what? know, like inside soda bottles, they had that little plastic thing in the side of the, the lid. The, I would take the, the like, plastic the ring thing. thing. Yeah. yeah, and then make it a bracelet. And I had like a bunch of those little <laughs> soda bracelets. I don't even know what it's called. But yeah, I used that to do that too. That's that's weird. That's uh, like, <laughs> I mean, that's what poor kids do. I was they have say, to make jewelry. <laughs> uh, I, well, because I was just trying to think of like, because my parents didn't really drink. I wasn't really allowed to have soda. And my dad said that it was like a waste of money. So I'm trying to think on when the first time I even had a soda in a bottle. That would have been my grandparents' house because they had money. Um, mm. But <laughs> the things we do. I mean, I remember pretending to smoke cigarettes. With those gum wrappers? I, ooh, I mean, those. The little candy gums. I didn't have those. The ca- those I I didn't know those were a thing until I think I was an adult. Candy cigarettes. Yeah, I didn't know that was a thing. I, you know what? Another I did form it with? of exposure. I know, but you know what I did mine with? What fun dip? You know how it's oh, got the the yeah whatever the fuck chickish lit or whatever. What is the, that thing called? I know the, the little sugar stick. stick thing. Yeah, yeah. God, fun dip is so bomb. I love that stuff so much. I can't believe well, we probably all have diabetes. I'm just saying, like there's a amount of candy yeah, we've consumed said that yet. But <laughs> God, if they had sugar free, because I'm like such a sugar free person, 
If I if they mm-hmm. had sugar free fun dip, which I don't know what that fuck that would be because fun dip is just sugar, but yeah, I would be uh, all it'd be splendid. Well, if they can Purple have non alcoholic wine and non alcoholic beer, they can have sugar free fun sugar dip. Free I mean, sugar free sugar. That'd be that I would. I'm just saying all over that. Yeah. Okay. Let's so t- revert today's back topic to yes. was actually requested by somebody from who follows us on Instagram, Ooh. and they wanted to talk about when you work. As a social worker or a um, case worker? practitioner, yeah. caseworker, you work harder for success of your clients than your clients do. Immediate okay. thoughts. Uh, I have a lot, actually. Um, I mean, my my immediate thought really, and I maybe it's just because I'm kind of in a, a shitty mood today. <laughs> um, my immediate thought is that sometimes – Unfortunately, social workers or caseworkers will get a bit of an attitude um, as far as what working hard looks like. And I think my mm-hmm. biggest question would really mean, like, what does that mean? Like, if somebody says to me, I feel like I'm working harder than my client, I would be like, okay, tell me, what does that mean? Like, mm-hmm. really, what does that mean? And so I think my first question is, can I get some kind of context to it? What this is, particular person, or they, I don't even know, um, works in a agency where they um, parents are reunifying with their children, mm-hmm. and so I think in the context of her, um, it would be like, I want this more than you, like to get your children back into your care. I want to. I'm working harder than you are. Then you know, to get into a place where you reunify with your kids. Yeah. Um, Okay. I think I understand. So I remember in my program, at least, and maybe it was in yours too, I've heard that. Like professors Mm -hmm. say that before, like never work harder than your client. And I just, I just don't, what the fuck does that mean? Honestly, I'm sorry. I didn't get it. I, Because let me just tell you, the reality of working hard as a social worker most of the time is just like an emotional and mental load of carrying Mm -hmm. that around. But the reality of working hard for a client potentially can mean what? Picking them up for a visit? Filling out a piece of paper to refer them to services? Like, what does that mean working harder than them? Please, I need, I need way more. In my experience, Mm -hmm. you know, I've only had a couple instances where I felt like I was putting in more effort to make arrangements for these families than the families actually were. Mm. Like I was calling you five times a week. I was making sure that you knew what time you had to be at therapy. I knew, I was making sure you knew what time you had drug and alcohol classes this week. Yeah. When it should have been their responsibility to mm-hmm. kind of maintain those appointments. And if they didn't, then that, you know, that's their responsibility. True. But there are instances where I, f- I have felt like, okay, no, I have to go above and beyond for this family because that's probably one of the many traumas that we carry as our own personal individual people. Wanting something more than somebody else is an internal thing. Mm-hmm. Like, why do I want this more than you? Well, I, but, my question there immediately is, why do you think you want it more than them? Because I've, believe me, I've had parents keeping fam- or I mean, families say totally. some shit where it's like, oh, like they're, you've checked out, you're, you know, you've 
no matter what, the type of situation you're talking about, your friend and, mm-hmm. and how that's being p- positioned, that's a super traumatic event to happen to any type of family. And I think that mm-hmm. it's so easy, not it's not easy, but it's easier probably to um, somewhat give up a little bit rather than, you know, put in the work and put in the effort and change your entire life because really somebody came in and said, hey, the way that you're living your life is wrong and dangerous Mm -hmm. and I need you to fucking turn it around in six months or a year or however long. Um, I mean, I think this is a twofold type of issue or situation that we could talk about. One half of it is why do you feel like as a person you need to work harder than your client? And then the other half of it is are we not considering what your client is going through? Yeah, absolutely. Because I, yeah, being- I think that, that first part for me at least is more of like, I think I've only, and maybe it's because of my personal experience or at least how I view what I've done in the past. I'm just trying to think it through and really believe, did I ever feel like I was working harder? And I can understand because there's a lot of workers who will say things like, um, this isn't a part of my job or this isn't part of my job or whatever. Like this isn't, mm. you know. This isn't a duty that I'm yeah. supposed to do. <laughs> I have never had any job in social work where I, that uh, most of the shit I was doing was actually a part of my job. They can't mm-hmm. hand you a guidebook or a a little contract that says, here's a list of every possible thing that you may have to do. I was, I've changed diapers as a social worker. That was Mm -hmm. never a part of my job. Like it's not written down somewhere. Um, but the reality is, isn't it, isn't all of it kind of supposed to be a part of your job? Yeah. Maybe today you feel like the five phone calls that you made to try to get in touch, um, Mm -hmm. with somebody or whatever, or try to remind someone for, for court or for a therapy appointment or for a drug test or something. I understand thinking like having to call so many times, like me feels like you're working harder, but really it isn't. It's not I, I think job. let's, let's, let's touch on the second part of that topic. Yeah. Then like the, what our family's going through and it's not you- just in CPS social work. It's yeah. in a lot of the, a lot of our job is dealing with people who are in trauma in the middle of trauma yeah. or recovering from trauma. So what yeah. does that look like for the family? I've seen a lot of grief and what grief does to people when you take their children away mm-hmm. or when you intervene at some government level in somebody's life mm-hmm. or even in therapy. When they're grieving, they cannot always be 100% on their A game all the time. Yeah. They're going to go through the stages of grief. They're going to be angry and they're going to be in denial and they're going to be depressed and they're going to be in acceptance. And maybe you'll see glimpses of that person at full capacity, but you can't expect a family or person to just pick up and continue with normal. Okay. Now I got to do all this stuff. Kind of like a robot, like a military person. Like I got to do all these tasks to get my children back. Well, that's might not be where they're at. No. And I think there's a huge disconnect when it comes to, let's say you go to school for social work. You're going to get your bachelor's or your master's in social work. In those Mm -hmm. programs, what you learn and what you have to research or write papers on and all this shit, I'm going to ask you a question. You'll probably know the answer. What is is the average amount of times you relapse before you get sober? Oh, dozens. Like you – Yeah. Well, like I – what did I ask the wrong question? It was either that I might have have mixed the questions up or like what's the average amount of times 
uh, a victim of violence will try to leave a relationship before they're successful in leaving the relationship, which is almost the same kind of guidelines at seven Mm. or like that idea of relapse. So in school, we learn and we know that relapse is a part of recovery, that it's a part of the journey that you have to do, not Mm -hmm. have to do it, but that it happens and that you have to keep rolling with it or that however many people will, it just factually relapse before they're able to get sober or all of these things. In school, we learn that, we know it, and we believe it. And then something happens and is a huge disconnect from when you learn that to when you're practicing as a caseworker, as a social Mm -hmm. worker, whatever your job title is, why do you suddenly forget it or or it's not, not applicable? It? Yeah. Why isn't it a- applicable? I don't see this this goes back into title protection. I think not everybody who's a caseworker, not everybody who's in the field serving families at that capacity mm-hmm. learned those foundational skills. Yeah, I know that. I know that relapse is a part of recovery. Mm-hmm. I was always having conversations with families who did. Mm-hmm. And I didn't take things away from them or persecute them unless it was something that was incredibly dangerous and we had to make yeah. safety, you know, safety calls for it. But that's, yeah, that's different. I've never, this for lack of better words, like n- nailed someone to the wall for um, relapse because it's a part yeah. of recovery. You're right. To be in remission from substance abuse, mm-hmm. how many months is it? Full remission. Is that a real question? I have zero yeah, idea. It's I know 12. you can't. E- I was gonna say I know you can't Just even get a psyche in- now until you're at least sober for a thirty fucking days. Yeah. So the time frames that we have people on and mm-hmm. all the different requirements, and I say we, I'm not even part of the we, but like, well, we meaning social worker. Yeah, we meaning yeah. expectations of, and it's different for everywhere. Different agencies have different expectations, different states for you know. Um, for court, all those yeah. kinds of things, even like family law stuff. I mean, the expect- all, I think that's yeah. where a huge issue lies is you go to school for social work, you learn all these things. And even people who don't have that degree, that like relapse is a part of recovery. I fu- who doesn't fucking know that? Who works mm-hmm. in who works in a social work realm, not necessarily has a degree in social work. But most people, I hope, mm-hmm. who work in helping services understand that. Um, but then- I think also the dis- the disconnect is where they're employed or the expectations set by others mm-hmm. on these requirements to mm-hmm. to get into that shelter. You have to have that or, or you have to be sober this long or you have to agree to this treatment plan or all those things. The disconnect is immediately there. Most of the time it's linked to funding. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I just think that we have to, as a collective, meet people where they are. And if they're, if they relapse and they work, relapse, yeah. how do you move forward from that? How do you continue on the path of, of getting people and families back in a healthy, safe environment? Yeah, Sometimes exactly. people can't figure that out because they're so stuck in, well, you relapsed and you didn't show up to therapy two times this month and you missed one visit. So guess what? You're mm. being punished, punished. for Jeez, yeah. being in a bad place. Even though I found you in a bad place, I met you mm-hmm. in a bad place. Yeah, I think- so I, I can see why you would feel it's harder to, you're working harder than your client because they relapsed or because they missed a visit or because whatever. Yeah, I think um, I think for people who, who actively feel that way, like that they're working harder, um, I think 
in the nicest way because it's probably I'm not sounding very nice in this episode but um the the questions that I would have like if I were to be like their um not their supervisor like if I was to do like their ASW supervisor like go through you know clinically and like Mm -hmm. process this kind of stuff because I remember my my supervisor being really good at processing when I was having frustrations um it would just be to question like what does that mean when someone says I'm working harder like you're filling out a form or you're making a few phone calls that's a part of your job that's not Mm -hmm. that's not crazy what those are active efforts and that's what you're supposed to do um if you're intervening with with a family with adults even with kids Mm -hmm. That's your whole role. You have come here and decided, not decided, but you have come here with lack of a better word, judgment on how someone's living their life and a determination has been made that maybe there's a safety issue or maybe, you know, somebody can't use drugs or, you know, Mm -hmm. can't live in that type of home because it's dangerous and decisions have to be made. And how much accountability do you have when you intervene? And change a family or a person's life forever, certain decisions are made. What you referenced earlier is like, the what was it, if people get their kids back or something? I mean, you came in and made a huge impact or an intervention, mm-hmm. did something like that, made a decision. Where's Where do you fall under that? Where Why aren't you aligned with the family moving forward and a part of that team and a part of working hard with them? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Mm-hmm. It's it's it, putting it in perspective for people who may not know what we're talking about. It's like um, you have this everyday lifestyle. You mm-hmm. live and do the things that you're doing right now. And somebody comes in and takes away your car, takes away your furniture in your house, mm-hmm. gives you a hundred bucks a week to get food. And you have to make do mm-hmm. with that stuff. Your yeah. life totally changed. I mean, maybe it's not as drastic, but like everybody got stripped from you. Yeah. Your funding got taken away. You're only allowed a certain amount of money. Mm -hmm. You have nowhere to live. Mm -hmm. You have no transportation. And then you have a to-do list of things that you have to do. And you're alone. Golly. It's just, it's very exceptionally complex and sad. I mean, There's sad. so many layers to that part of yeah. of it all. But we can jump to the other side yeah. of why do I feel like I'm working harder than my clients as personally? I mean, the only I've seen it a lot in so, in social work jobs and positions mm-hmm. where they felt like they work harder than their clients or their or they want success more than their clients. And I think that's really something that needs to be reflected on internally. Well, and then, I mean, I just have so many fucking questions when it comes to that. Because part of me feels like it's just such... (sighs) One time, I years ago, I think it was in Kansas, maybe, somebody came back to the office. Back, Yeah, it was in Kansas. Whoops. It was um, someone came up and was telling me how, how these kids couldn't live at this house that they had come that they had just come from. I was like, what? Shit, what happened? You know, Mm -hmm. somebody makes a big statement like that. They're like, they didn't have electricity. Mm. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Like I was just like, and what else? It was, that was it really. And I mean, obviously that's a, that's a bias, that person for whatever Mm -hmm. reason. Um, That was their bias. It felt like a house was dangerous. And I was like, have you never met any Amish people? 
Like, mm-hmm. we're not taking their kids in troves. They don't have electricity either. Yeah. Like, you gotta, you just gotta figure some stuff out. But I think for some people, it might come from the word's not entitled, but like a, um, I don't know. I think some, some people get into this career because they personally have a savior complex. And wherever that came from, for whatever reason, um, why you feel the personal responsibility to save other people, that's your own thing. But mm-hmm. you need to understand that save might mean something for you and it means something completely different to somebody else. Just how you said earlier is like they wanted success for their client more than they did. Maybe they had a different fucking view of success. Mm-hmm. I've had people tell me that they were clean for a long time. And I was like, oh, yeah, how long is a long time? And they're like, it's been two weeks. Yeah. That sound like a long time to you? To me, no. Fuck no. To them, no. that is probably like a, long like time a to miracle. Me. Thank you. Yeah, but when you've been using meth every day for years and then suddenly it's been two weeks, that is a long time. Mm-hmm. But to me, is that a long time? No. But is, is that success to me? Not at all. Is that success mm-hmm. to that person? Yep. So we had to get up, we have to get on the same page of what success actually looks like. Most of those times, those treatment goals and those treatment plans have no real the clients don't have the same vision. Mm-hmm. And I understand sometimes they never will, but it's it's too far disconnected, per, I personally think. I think there's a lot of systemic issues that, that would make a person feel that way too and make a client not work as hard. Maybe lack of understanding the treatment goals. Maybe they don't agree with the treatment goals. Maybe they think it's a bunch of BS and they've never talked to their caseworker before or haven't talked to them in a long time, or they only talk on the phone. I mean, there's so many reasons Mm -hmm. or issues that could come up. But as far as like feeling like I'm working harder, that only came up when I felt like I was seeing too many things not be successful in my eyes. Mm. Like a lot of different, you know, families not reunifying. Mm. And then you're like, no, 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 you have to do this. You have to reunify with your kids. They're better off with you. And I started feeling those feelings too. But I remember having a supervisor who talked to me similar Mm -hmm. to um, a previous recording you had told, said something about a supervisor, but uh, like she told me, you're going to let them work on their timeframe, but you're going to give them all the tools that they need to do it. Mm. And that's your job. Yeah. is you give them the tools that they need to successfully get to where they need to go. Mm-hmm. And it's their job to, you know, you're giving them the vehicle. Mm-hmm. It's their job to put gas in the car. Mm-hmm. And you have to watch them and help them along the way if they need it. Yeah, But it's not your job to fuel it. And it was the most... Yeah. mind-blowing thing that I heard because it's like, okay, you're right. Then it's me that wants it more than them, not them. No matter what, I think that's a, I think that's a very hard thing to feel. If you truly felt like you wanted success for someone else more than them, um, I think that'd be difficult to navigate that kind of, um, mm-hmm. that kind of personal issue. I once had a client, uh, relapse and she was extremely upset 
about it and was, you know, apologizing to me or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, uh, we were going to get through it, obviously. Um, And it was more about like, all right, let's get you back. Um, And I told her, I made it up on the spot and I felt so like philosophical about it. And I'm going to tell you right now. I told her that uh, – because she just was crying and she was so upset that I was going to be mad at her. You know how people mm-hmm. get – she thought mm-hmm. I was going to be mad. In trouble. Yeah. Like she did very much have that type mm-hmm. of – like she thought she was afraid of being in trouble. And I had said, um, you know, I did not take credit for your sobriety, so I'm not going to take blame for your relapse. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, f- I felt that way. Like in the same way – because we do, we do. We get so upset when clients aren't successful and we take on the blame. Yes, but that do, part. I at least didn't take credit. I know some people do because they get excited. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to bask in, you know, someone else's victory. But are you celebrating someone else's victory or are you taking on ownership for yourself? And unfortunately, yeah, sometimes. That's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. And sometimes in this work, in helping professions, um, are, we, are we trying to help for selfish reasons? Mm-hmm. What is your intent? Yeah. Are you trying to encourage and, and support these people no matter where they end up? Mm-hmm. Even if that means that they're not successful in your eyes. They're, they're doing whatever it is they're capable of yeah. doing. And why is it your eyes? I think there's this, yeah. you have to question yourself a certain amount if you're a social worker and really figure out what that means. Um, if if what is success? through the whole life of a case, a case. your goal is to get these children back with their parents, but that goal isn't met, maybe you need to think about what success looks like in different ways. Like maybe it was a successful case because the kids found permanency. Well, I think it, I, I think it's just, it's even how you, ver- how you verbalized it right away. Your goal mm-hmm. is to get that back. Why is it? Your, what's, what's their goal? Yeah. <laughs> if their, their goal also is, mm-hmm is whatever they're capable of doing in the life of the case. It, even if that means it's not reunification, but you can't take blame for that and you and you can't take responsibility for someone else's journey. Mm. Because it's belongs Yeah, to I mean it's just heavy if someone were to come to me and say, you know, I'm their substance treatment counselor and they want to say I want to get sober and then all right, that's the goal and then if I can't you know, because it does, there is a part of it that does feel like I can't get them sober. There's been times um, I, I am a fucking clinical social worker and there's people very close to me that have had some significant issues with substances. And there's been this probably like a, like, again, like a savior complex. There's this part of me that's like, why can't I... Why is this happening to my family member? Why can't mm-hmm. I fix them? Like, I'm mm-hmm. fucking licensed. How come I can't make them better? Mm-hmm. And then that's when I have to be like, why Why? I'm, why am I being so fucking selfish? Like, mm-hmm. it's so, um, I don't know. There's just a part, I think, of a lot of social workers that need it's, that type of, yeah. what, what was it the other day? Superheroism? Like, we yeah. need to feel good about someone else and we need them to be successful for me to, to, to see that I'm doing anything worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And, and not take on the guilt and shame of someone else not being successful mm-hmm. in your eyes mm-hmm. because it's not your fault. You didn't do it. And you're not, you're not putting the drugs or alcohol in someone's body. You're not making them beat their kids. You're not doing all of those things. Mm-hmm. 
But I think as a as a social work world, we need to stop taking responsibility for things we didn't do. Yeah. That's how it's it's all heavy. Who this is a heavy episode. I feel heavy. I know. I feel <laughs> I don't feel lighter. like this was <laughs> But I think these are topics that definitely need to be shared and talked about because how many social work podcasts are, are out there talking about this? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's hard to question your own intentions. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and you know, maybe, maybe we do things self- for selfish reasons, or I want, I need that type of validation. I need my client to be successful to know. Oh, you know what? I got one. I'm not going to name her. I'm not going to name her. But one of my friends was talking to me the other day, and she's a uh, coach um, at a school. So she's like a sports coach. Like a, I'm not going to mm-hmm. get all super into it so that nobody can identify her. Um, but she was telling me how she felt like a failure. And mm. I, you know, like I'm like, why? Like you're, you know, and I've seen her in action. She's got great relationships with her kids, and she makes a positive impact on their life. And then she was saying, like, my job is to win, and because she's a coach for a sports team, mm. and so she mm-hmm. said that her entire career will be measured by the wins and losses, like literal wins and losses oh, wow. of her team, and that if she doesn't have more wins than losses, she's a failure. Fuck, that hit me so bad because wow. I was like, Jesus. Um, and I talked to another friend after because I just need to process that. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, I was saying how like, because my the second friend I was talking to is a social worker too. And we were both, we're both of the same mindset of like, if my client isn't successful, it doesn't necessarily mean I didn't do my job. Mm-hmm. I, you know, what is success again, that kind of conversation. And I said like, man, if my whole fucking career was defined by, by wins how and many losses? people I got sober or how many families, families. were reunited, how mm-hmm. many, you know, whatever social work job you have, like how many homeless people I got off the street if my whole career was defined by that. How many veterans I saved from suicide. Like, like fuck. That's, that's, that's crazy. And yeah. I think, unfortunately, when people have that viewpoint of I'm working harder than my client, they're seeing their job as wins and losses. Mm-hmm. And that's just, we can't do that. That's that's burnout red flags. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to start to consider, like, uh, are you taking a step back and doing some personal reflection about why you want this more than them? And my, I'll continue to go back. Why do you think you even want it more than them? Like, mm-hmm. where does that come from? Question your own set of ethics, values, and morals, and values. Yeah. Like, why? Mm-hmm. What is that? What does that mean to you? Ooh. Heaviness. Say something lighter. Say something oh, else, man. Okay. Um, I don't know what else to say. You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to drop a plug for a Rice Krispie Treats. And if you make Rice Krispie Treats, but you use more marshmallows a little bit, not crazy much more, and you can shape it around, like you have to have something clean. I made a Rice Krispie Turkey several years ago. Oh. Yeah, I made like a aluminum foil, like I scrunched it up and then I, and I sprayed it with olive oil and then I made it the rice crispy around it. So like I shaped it as it was still kind of warm. Mm, you are the the baker. I well, I mean marshmallows, love butter, treats. and rice krispies. That's pretty. So I, I mean, but bacon, I could never make those things. You could. But what I'm saying my whole point is that's lighter, I guess. Thanksgiving treats. And then I filled mm-hmm. it with MMs. Like oh, that's interesting. I'm going to show you a picture later. It was really cute. But well, I'm looking forward to our Thanksgiving because cranberry is going to be out of a jar. So 
A jar? That sounds I mean, like not a jar. people cranberries. A, a can. <laughs> a can. Let's back up a can. Yeah, because it's going to come like out with the ridges. Yeah, I, li- <laughs> yeah. I slice it. Like some people kind of get fancy with the cranberry jar or jar, jar. cranberry can where they like smush it. Like, no, give yeah. me the shoop as it comes out of the can. I want to exactly. slice it and have a little mm-hmm. round. I put the little rounds on top of my turkey. Not my turkey, That's- but on top of my turkey oh. slice. Okay. And you just fork it. Well, I hope everybody has a a very good Thanksgiving, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you. Sorry to have you in the episode. Bye. Bye. (laughs) And that's a wrap for today's topic. If you want to stay in the loop of anything new and exciting happening with this crazy duo, be sure to follow us on TikTok and Instagram at Clinically Impressed. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to stay connected, stay hydrated, and always practice safe social work. (laughs) 